Welcome to episode 69 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Island Brin. We recorded this episode on the island of Oahu in Hawaii for the Epic Currents Conference last week. We sat down with Geraldo Thorlifson and Dustin Sinos. It was our first live episode ever, a which was super weird. Episode. And at the end, we did an open Q&A with people in the audience. So we edited that together. Hopefully it comes out okay. Uh, we hope you enjoy listening. If you do, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM or chat with us in our Slack team at spec.fm slash Slack. Before we get into the conversation, we have two sponsors that made this episode possible. First, huge thank you to Dropbox. Dropbox makes it easy to work together with anyone in the world, coworkers, friends, family. It's a way to sync your files across all of your devices all the time. You upload a file on your computer and you have it available for you on your phone and your tablet, your work computer, all stored in the cloud. Dropbox keeps track of version history so you never lose anything you're working on. As a designer, that's invaluable for us because it means we never lose any of our revisions. We can go back in time and look at our past mockups, our past work. Sketch auto-saving plus Dropbox version history is incredibly good. You basically are guaranteed to have edit every iteration of your design. Uh, and Dropbox makes that all possible. They're now investing even more in collaboration tools that go beyond just file syncing. So they have online commenting right next to the files. So you can share your designs with your team, whether they're designers or not, they don't even need Sketch or Photoshop. You can just share your designs. People can comment on that on the web and have an entire discussion about your work right in one place. Uh, they make it incredibly easy to share huge files by just sending a link. Uh, it reduces this need to upload huge files. You don't have email caps on file sizes. You just send someone a link to a Dropbox file. They get it on their end. It's fast, it's easy. We use it for our work. Bryn and I use it for spec. We store and sync all of our episodes on Dropbox. It is an invaluable service and really we couldn't get by without it. Dropbox has been awesome for sponsoring this show. They just want to support the design community. So go support them. Go to dropbox.com. Check it out. Make sure you're keeping your files safe at dropbox.com. Thanks so much once again to Dropbox. Our second sponsor is another one that we can both wholeheartedly support because we both use him in our personal lives and our work lives and our personal work lives. Andrew Carroll at NCH Tax and Wealth Advisors. He's my accountant. He's, he's my accountant. He's my business accountant. He's the spec accountant. That's, I think that's as good as we can get. Like we use him for everything. Sam Sofas uses him. Jake Marsh uses him. Uh, I Caleb Davenport uses him. We just- Everyone uses him. Sam and I endorse him every other day on our podcast. So when we when we started building spec, the thing that was taking the most time was trying to figure out how to do handle taxes for paying out our hosts, paying out people who are writing content like Jake Marsh, who does Little Bites of Cocoa, and trying to figure out what we can pay contractors, what we can store for spec without like losing money, all that stuff. I was spending so much time just trying to get taxes figured out. And as soon as Andrew and NCH got on board, it, it was all handled for me. Not only is Andrew a huge time saver, he's also like, he's really proactive and fast at responding. So he responds on Twitter, he responds in our Slack team, which is amazing. He's like in there helping people out, helping us out. It's the best. And he just wrote a book and it's called The Freelancer's Guide to Escaping Taxes, which if you're a freelancer, you know how hard it is to make money anyway. So if you can get a little bit more in your pocket, that brings up your bottom line and that is super super helpful you can go check that out for free by going to cpaandrew.com slash spec if you're a freelancer i mean 
a free guide that helps you save money or make more money is kind of the best thing you can get. So thank you once again to Andrew, cpaandrew.com slash spec. Thanks again to NCH Tax and Wealth Advisors as well. And with that, let's get to episode 69 with Dustin Sinos and Geraldo Tholifson. Live from Oahu. Hi, everyone. What's up, guys? Uh, I'm Brian. Uh, I'm a designer at Facebook. I'm a designer at Sidewire. Uh, I'm Dustin. I'm a freelance designer. Uh, my name is Halley. I work at a company called Dueno, which is an agency. Yeah. So we've talked to both these guys before. Uh, so we thought it'd be really fun to have them back on here. Super easy. Some people have listened to it. We've had some of you guys on the show. Uh, the whole premise of this is that uh, we feel like it's really valuable to connect with the people that make some of our favorite products. Uh, so it's not quite a formal interview. It's a little bit more just about getting to know the person, the process. Um, and the reason we're recording it is because so many people that listen to this are people outside of SF, outside of tech, and they get a lot of value. So that's I've heard a lot from younger designers who just love it. So uh, we want to have these guys back on. So when we were setting up for Epic Currents and working with Dan a little bit to get things going, um, where is Dan? Dan? Dan and I had a long discussion about inspiration and I am a bit of a skeptic when it comes to the concept of inspiration. I, I feel like it's a little more pragmatic when I'm going to solve a problem. And I thought that'd be really fun to discuss with you guys. Because uh, I know both of you, we talked about this briefly last night and you guys both have very different opinions on this. So, Yeah, so uh, we, I guess, so for me, whenever I take on a new project, I always like start off by making like an inspiration folder. And then after talking to these guys, Maybe I should be renaming my folder just pure research. I don't know. I think I named it like super aspirational. Like, let's go look at other products that are similar to this or things that are interesting that I could borrow from or build upon. Because um, I like to stand like on the shoulders of other great people. I don't, I like, don't like to start from the beginning. If I can look at people that have solved similar problems at a really high caliber way of doing it, then I can like piggyback off of them and not have to start from scratch every time myself. So... I almost never jump into something without looking for inspiration first. Um, I'm not the kind of person, I think we talked about this last night, where it's like, I don't see a sunset and I'm like, dear God, I have an idea for a new mobile app. Thank you, sunset. Like, that's not inspiration to me. Um, that's the kind of thing I'm especially skeptical of when people are like, oh, I've got it. That was a really great dump and it just worked out for me. <laughs> like, I just hear that stuff way too often in like press stuff how do you approach it Holly? Uh, very similar to Dustin it's more like um, I don't know what to call it I, I call it like stealing I guess <laughs> uh, just copying whatever everybody else is doing in some ways sometimes um, and I've never had like yeah a eureka moment outside of like I, I was listening to Phil Collins this morning and <laughs> that didn't inspire <laughs> me like I just have easy lover on my brain but that doesn't really <laughs> make me want to design anything specific well then Hallie I'm particularly curious because your body of work is massive if anyone hasn't seen Wayno's work it's it's pretty incredible, incredible uh, the client list that, that you've worked with so how, how do you start a project like if you don't have these outside sources of inspiration where do you get started how do you figure out a direction to go um, I think we just get started and then something happens um, there's no magic there's no like just a lot of hard work and then something will come together eventually um, very rarely is there like um, 
going in, we don't really know what we're going to do. A lot of clients ask us for like a brief up front or a pitch or something. And I just say, I have no idea what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. We're just going to have to trust that something will happen. Why do you think that's worked out? I don't know. Luck. What? Hard work. Okay. Yeah. I think that just um, trusting sounds terrible, but trusting the process, um, knowing, by, you know, after doing it for so long that something will happen. Um, yeah. Would you be willing to be like a little more concrete about what the process is like from from getting approached by client to actually shipping the, the final thing? It's so different between projects, but um, usually it starts off with um, some kind of mood boarding, um, talking through stuff with the client. Um, we have... What's in your mood boards? Is it like websites and apps or like pretty much yeah. magazines and all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff no it's usually very concrete things that relate directly to something that we're doing it's not no sunsets no sunsets uh no phil collins <laughs> um but yeah from there we go into like we a lot of work we do is on site with people so basically we try and, and just trust that if we spend enough time on the thing and we spend time with the people we're working with We'll figure it out together. Um, and then from there, we move into wireframes and then just doing stuff. I don't know. <laughs> That's just helpful, but yeah. Do okay. you think, so like my style of design is very pragmatic and very simple. And like I look up to people like Dan Petty who can go design Roxy.com and like put beautiful images on it and color swatches. Like I, I can't even do that stuff in Sketch. So I don't think in terms of brush strokes. It's kind of incredible to see that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, but like do you think if I were a painter or an artist and I don't particularly consider myself an artist, I think perhaps people like that actually do find inspiration places. Like I'm just trying to solve problems and like do something really concrete and take a person that has like a motive, hopefully interacts well with a product and then like gets a desired result. And I'm just trying to make that super seamless. So perhaps the inspiration is like, like just being as concrete and clear as possible and like too much artistic inspiration would like deviate from that you had this metaphor of the hammer that we talked about yesterday could you share with everyone like the metaphor of the hammer and how that helps you think through problems it's gonna sound stupid but i'll say it anyway so like the the flat part of the hammer where you smash things into the ground is like monkeys do that like this primates can like actually interact with a hammer at that simple level like they're using a rock to bash things open we as humans made super simple hammers and then we advanced enough to like invent the other side of the hammer, which is like the prong that takes out nails. When you think about how much knowledge it would actually take to realize that like through leverage and the machining process and the like ability to realize like, yo, using leverage, I can actually undo what this blunt object is doing. I think that's incredible. And then like when I think about design and products, it's like how many hammer blunt sides are we still designing? And like where are the prongs that are like just like the realization like the further step beyond what we're currently doing and like that kind of stuff inspires me to think about like what what is next what can we do next that's not the obvious solution to things what would be an example of like the hammer and and the prongs i wish i knew yeah i don't know non-destructive booleans non-destructive booleans i don't even know what that is but yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) we talked a little bit yesterday also about mentorship uh you guys both had different maybe thought processes behind what it means to be a mentor, what it means to have mentors. Could you share a little bit about that? Dustin had, uh, has had more luck with mentors. I, I haven't really had a lot of 
awesome mentors. Um, I was freelancing for seven years, so um, in that time, obviously, I met good people, but it was usually very sort of short. Um, you traveled a lot in that time, right? Yeah, we traveled. We, we moved every three months or so for a few years. Um, and so I'm kind of missing that, I think, uh, and it, I'm starting to miss it now because as we grow, we have more people, and I feel like I should be mentoring people, and I because I don't have, I haven't had that, that experience, somebody else mentoring me, um, I have a hard time sort of passing stuff on to uh, our designers. So I'm trying to work on that, um, trying to find a good balance between, you know, when do you, when do you step in, when do you, when are your hands off and so on. So it's, it's tough, um, but I wish I had had like a good mentor that I could look up to and say, yeah, that was, I learned this because of that, that person, but yeah. I'm just curious, raise your hand if you feel like you've had a good mentor in your career. So like 30, 25% of people? More raise, than half the room. Half the room. Raise your hand if you feel like you are a good mentor to someone or actively mentor people. About the same amount. See, that's incredible. So I, I like attribute like so much to like just great mentorship. Like I've lucked out with working with like really good engineers when I was at Disney and like working with fantastic people in my time at Medium and I had fantastic teachers in high school just a whole bunch of mentorship and like I can't imagine like not having that in my life and I'm super thankful that I did have that and I feel horrible because I don't feel like I actively mentor anyone and I feel like I need to pay that forward and like I look at things like Mission Bit anyone familiar with Mission Bit in San Francisco? So they take inner city kids and they like help teach them like Android and design and like programming. And I went to their showcase and there's a bunch of like 14 year old kids standing on stage being like, hey guys, like we made a game. We're going to call it like space bowling, but that's not interesting. So we called it space balls because that's like more fun. And they showed us this like super janky bowling game that they built on Android at like the age of like 16 and like that's incredible and like there's these people volunteering their time for free doing that and helping these kids build that stuff and that's empowering these young people to do that is just gonna like i want to use the apps when i'm a senior citizen that these like 14 year old kids are hopefully building to make my life better like this is going to be incredible when kids can do that and that is going to be through i think mentorship at younger ages because like our school systems aren't doing that right now at least from my experience I think, Dustin, you've also had a pretty unique experience getting to work with Ev Williams. Uh, I was wondering if you could share anything about that process, like what it's like working with him, because we all use his products, um, if you have any insights there. Totally. So I had the opportunity to work at Medium, and Ev Williams uh, co-founded Twitter and is the CEO, current CEO of Medium. He's like, he's a beast. I don't know how to describe him. He's the kind of person where you bring him like a product problem, and like instantly he has like 10 different perspectives on it, and you're like, oh shit how does your head work that fast um he is very like design minded like early days of medium it wasn't like i never had to convince him why typography was important in medium or like why he should let me like spend a little bit more time or let the team spend more time on the type he just understood that from the very beginning and i have only really worked with design minded ceos and founders i've never worked under an engineering minded founder so i'm not sure what that's like i haven't really had to argue the case for design yeah the fellow is just like it's hard it's a double-edged sword because a lot of times too like he hires people that he thinks will bring something interesting to the company but then because he's ev williams because he has this crazy track record because he's like super successful 
he'll say something and we're all like okay yeah we'll go build that and he's like well no like let's talk through it's like no that sounds good and like it's hard not to be a yes person to someone like that because it's like so often he is correct but so often we're going to get to a better product if we do push back and dive deeper on stuff because he's not always correct so it's it's hard it's intimidating but it was a lot of fun i have a question about ev as well uh when jacob thornton came on the show he talked about how one of his okrs uh, objectives and key results do you guys use those a lot is that a thing okay one of his okrs was to write the best css that that was like it that can only come from like a craft focused ceo so how do you guys approach craft like on a on a macro level do you do you think about that when you go into the product or you just solve the problems and like just sweat the small stuff so i think with medium like a lot of i think what like blogging had existed from the beginning of the internet like not the beginning of the internet, but people have been writing online for a super long time. And one part that was distinguishing about us was our design. And I think that was because our design and our engineering that supported that design and like elevated that design. I think the craft was always super important. We always really wanted to make something that was like appears obvious, but took us a long time and a lot of thought to get there. And I think that is through um, having a CEO from the top down who's like, let's just make, his his motive is like, let's make a product we want to use. That's like all he would continuously say is like, do you really want that button to be that big? Like, are you trying to increase numbers for you this quarter? Or like, do you actually want to use a product that has a button that big on it? And like a lot of people would be like, nah, it's too big. Like numbers went up, but it, you're right, it's too big. So we were like so driven by just like, make exactly what we want to use and hopefully other people want to use it obviously do some research talk to a bunch of other people talk to writers learn as much as we could take that in and then just go back and build a product we wanted to use from our like additional learnings what about for you hallie what's uh where does craft and like craftsmanship fit into wayno and what your team's doing so i don't have any design education so for me it's for a long time it was kind of fighting imposter syndrome uh, and figuring out that it was okay to say that I was good at this. Um, and then once once you get there, it's kind of just like trying to push on every different project. Uh, I think the best thing is if you can look back, you know, maybe not, you know, back like six months and figure out, oh, that was stupid. Uh, because you've sort of realized you've learned something new. Uh, if you're always super happy with the work you're doing, it's that's... <coughs> That's kind of a bummer if you're, you know, if if I look back a year uh, and I and I and I just think, yeah, I would have done the same exact thing. Then that's probably means that I haven't learned anything new. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's basically just trying to improve between projects, trying to make sure that what we're doing is is better than what we were just doing. Was there a moment, like a specific point in time, where you felt comfortable saying, "I'm actually pretty good at this"? Like, when did that happen? Um, about two years ago. Two years? Yeah. What was the, what was the moment? Um, well, maybe two and a half. It was a project that we did um, before we started the agency. I was working for Google. Um, and we did a project for their Christmas launch. It was called the Google Santa Tracker. And it was the first project that I kind of took the lead on completely. And it built the whole team. And... Basically, from beginning to end, like overseeing the code and design and making sure that everything worked uh, and got delivered on time, and it was um, pretty successful. And I thought, okay, I can, I can do this. 
do you still battle with imposter syndrome or was that kind of the moment where you left that behind sometimes like for a long time i didn't really feel like i understood um typography so i just wanted to really dig into that yeah there's sort of areas that i tried to cover and then tick those boxes off although then they become that knowledge becomes a little bit obsolete and you want to tick those boxes off again but less and less but still sometimes how about for you dustin yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely like I, i'm looking at a room full of people that i think should be like up here talking so it's like all all the time i struggle with that all the time how I, do you deal with it i just like tr- just keep trying to make stuff that i'm proud of pretty much it so i just like like it's it, it's interesting for me like i used to race motorcycles and you never never watch the people slower than you you're always looking up to the people better than you and it's like same in design i think like i'm never looking at junior designers i'm always looking up and there's so many inspiring and fantastic designers that you forget that hey maybe there's actually people that look at the work you do and go like oh you're you're you do cool stuff too so it's like there's always like i always want to get better at my craft and like get better at this so i've never like i've never been like yeah I'm, i'm i'm killing it i'm super good at this it's like i'm just trying to do good stuff one of the things that I've found super valuable uh, is, is case studies like Wayno puts out, uh, case studies that other companies put out and like showing process work. Um, I'm curious how you guys approach sharing process work, even actually, especially the unsuccessful stuff, not showing the final product to the public. I never have. I never have taken the time. So I've never like ran an agency or anything. So I never, I've only worked on products. So you've, you've wrote about the typography choices in Medium a little bit. Totally. I think, so I've shared, okay, so I've shared, like, how we've come up to solutions. I haven't shared, like, this is slightly tangential, but, like, for me, the biggest thing Sketch has brought to our industry, in my personal opinion, is, like, how easy it is to duplicate artboards and just, like, make more revisions. Like, that's it. I never had, like, 90 Photoshop documents of the same things with slight tweaks. I have... 20 artboards that are almost identical that I'm like tweaking. I've never shared that stuff, but it's like all of my files are like revision 22. I liked revision 21 through zero. I couldn't stand. So it's like, maybe, maybe I should share that. I don't know. It's, it's getting tougher now with bigger clients because they typically don't want us to share any process. They kind of own all that work and they, um, in most cases won't let you share it because there might be something in there that might use later or they don't want to you know get their competitors in on why we made the choices we made and so on so it's getting tougher and tougher i did a lot of that uh a few years ago and that was sometimes it was kind of looking backwards and figuring out what why we did something sometimes it was just bullshit because you kind of just uh, like you, you know where you are and you kind of oh yeah that's why we did that but it wasn't really that and you kind of have to be honest about it uh try to be honest about it but yeah i wish we could do that more because i think that will be i think it's probably interesting to other people but it's mostly interesting to us going through going through that process of looking back and doing like uh spending the time to figure out why we did stuff um uh, is super helpful this is something i've been thinking a ton about lately is even just this distinction of like working on on products versus the agency side of things, uh, there seems to be a distinction between people that are are sharing case studies. Um, agencies certainly tend to do case studies a lot more for for marketing reasons and, and things like that. How can we encourage more people within within products and, and even at, at agencies to to share more? Because I think it is incredibly valuable. But everyone in products has so many people in products have this like secrecy 
uh, paranoia that that you're gonna share an, an old revision and it's gonna like either make you look dumb or reveal a secret. Well, that comes back to like imposter syndrome, right? Like, do you think it's that or do you just think it's like, we're working on a product, I'm not gonna take the time to write up what I'm doing. I'm just gonna think about the next thing that I need to do. Do you think? Like, I think that's a big case. At least like, you know, having worked at a publishing platform where I should have been publishing more, it's like I was not publishing what I was working on because I was working on work. So it's like, but I think it would be beneficial to do, but I don't think, I never would be like, I don't want to share this because people are going to think I'm shitty at design. It's like. But then this is, this is the problem, right? Is we, like everyone in this room has some incredible lessons they've learned, but there's no time or space to share that with, with the broader community, especially people younger than you. Like, how would you approach that? Do you think that's a worthwhile investment of your time? Or do you still feel like you need to keep cranking? It's like broad mentorship. Yeah, broad yeah. mentorship. I think it's, yeah, I think it's incredible when people do that. Like, I think of Julie Zhao's posts that it's like, I've taken so many nuggets of wonderful stuff that she's written about, and it's like incredible. Like, I, I, I look up to people that make time for that, for sure. And I don't know how to inspire other people. Like, how many people here have written about your design process and published it? I know I've taken a lot of stuff from Hemian's, like, tiny posts. That was super helpful. T. Hen and Lax's uh, case studies incredible and like why why did you do it marketing reasons interestingness self-promotion defensibility defensibility yeah so coming back to a little bit of the the mentorship and imposter syndrome thing so you mentioned that you haven't really gotten the chance to pay it forward you as well one of the most common reasons i hear is uh is that they just don't feel up to that level and i certainly don't but i've had people come to me and ask for stuff and i just happen to help them and i never thought about myself as a mentor until recently I mean, I've asked you questions. You've mentored me. Um, I've, I mean, we've everyone we've had on the show is like a brief mentor. <laughs> so, I don't know. Do you think that people should start mentoring sooner? I think so. It's like design. Like the best design is collaborative. So if you have the opportunity to work with people that have been like have more skin in the game, I think that's rad. And I think it is something that like I feel guilty that I have not done more of explicitly like i've managed designers and engineers in the past so through that i probably have done some mentorship but i never explicitly was like i'm mentoring people now it's like i was just doing my job so i really i like things like mission bit things that are like trying to help other people get better at design and i would really like to start doing that what about you hallie uh, how do you bring on new designers into your agency and like set them up where where they can make their own decisions yeah, like I was saying, I think uh, that's one of the things that I'm trying to work on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I, uh, I'm i there by any means because I think um, the tough thing is just finding time. Um, once you've done this long enough, you kind of look at problems and you can uh, oftentimes just figure out the solution quickly. And then you have maybe a junior person and you want to help them get there, but there's a deadline tomorrow and it's like, how do you balance just doing it for them or... Um, making sure that we deliver something that is up to scratch. And I think a lot of that is just giving them a little bit more time than I than I think. Like I have to put myself in their shoes and just remember looking back a few years and thinking, oh yeah, I wasn't, I didn't know how to do this either. And then work backwards from there and just making sure people have the time, the breathing space. I think most of my job is just getting people set up for success so that they have the, the time, the tools, and the resources they need to create something good, and then 
giving them feedback along the way to sort of point them in the right directions or what I think are the right directions without just telling them explicitly what to do. Do you guys do like recaps after a client's done and, and go through what you think worked well and didn't? Uh, we're starting to do that, yeah. And we have we have design reviews two times a week where we review all work that everybody's working on because people are working on different projects, which is, I think, super helpful, especially for... Um, for maybe younger people, but it's something that I picked up on when we were working at, we were working with Medium, and they have the same setup. And I thought this is actually quite impressive because I saw people come into meetings showing work that maybe was not great, and then over a pretty short amount of time, based on the feedback they got, it got to be you know pretty awesome, and it always brought something new, even for like the more senior people. Um, I think they. It was super valuable just to see. You get you get so close to something that you don't see anything else, and then somebody new comes in and just points at it and say, "Well, this doesn't make any sense." And he said, "Oh yeah, I, I kind of just I've designed myself into this corner, and I thought, oh yeah, this is perfect." And then somebody else comes in and says, "Well, I don't get this for you know I don't have all the, all the uh, information you have, and I'm as a user, I just have no idea what's going on." While you're at Medium, what was the process of sharing? work in progress. Totally. So we made something called DCT, Design uh, Collaboration Time. And I'm like a stickler for process. So the way it worked was we would do it. uh, We tried every day for a little amount of time. And then we tried like twice a week for a longer amount of time. But the, the format was always the same. So designers would come show their work. No one was allowed to talk except for the designer showing the work. And everyone would like take down notes of positives and negatives, and then they would go around and give feedback to that designer. And the designer, because I like fully believe designers should be accountable and should be feel like their work is their work and not just like a design by committee, they were allowed to take the feedback or leave the feedback. And people would go around in a circle and say, "Yo, like I like this aspect of it." And, like always do the compliment sandwich: name something good, name some bad stuff and then name something good at the end of it so you know ends well and then designer would just be like cool thank you next person and like that's all it was and it like was super super quick because it wasn't just like people spitballing on crazy stuff and the designer had to always set up like this is the problem i'm trying to solve right now this is what i want feedback on so it's not like that's awesome but like the type is off and you're like yeah but i'm just trying to work on the ux flow right now and they're like yeah but the type like have you tried like a serif font here it's like just get that out of the way so i would like cut people off that's like that's not what we're critiquing right now and like through that format everyone felt comfortable um voicing their opinions and it like helps people that are more quiet that might not want to like sit in the back of the room and then try to speak over people because everyone had a turn to talk so that was our critique format how do you fight uh, in the critique format people wanting to make other people feel good? Like you maybe see something and you maybe over compliment or, or uh, even hold back on the critique. How do, you, how do you make an environment where everyone's a little bit comfortable being harsh and real about what's bad and what's not working? I think you lead by example. If you're in the place where like, let's say you're managing the team or doing that or just wanting to see your coworkers do that more, you just lead by example and you like, make sure that you take negative feedback or not negative, like constructive, not positive feedback really, really well and give people constructive feedback that's not always great in like a really respectful way, but not always a polite way. I think is the way you have to do that. It's just like, like mimic what you want to see. 
Yeah, that's basically it. I think um, it's also just about building up trust over time. I think it's very hard to jump into a situation like that where there's like 10 people in a room and they're saying that, you know, what you did isn't good. Um, so you have to basically give them sometimes a compliment sandwich. At least, you know, you have to sort of figure out what they need at that point. Uh, sometimes they need a little bit of a pick-me-up. Uh, but if it's all just like... Um, you know, your awesome comments, then, yeah, you know, it's useless. that's pretty pointless. Dribble. Yeah, if it's, if it's just dribble. Uh, <laughs> but if if uh, if it's all negative, that's also, you know, people will just become more afraid of sharing. So it has to find a little, that middle ground of being in a relationship with people that you know aren't trying to get you. They're trying to help you. Um, I think that can very easily spiral into something bad if people just feel like, Oh, that person just critiqued me. Now I'm going to critique the hell out of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I think it's um, making sure that everybody on the team uh, trusts each other. Yeah. I would also bring in like guest critiquers. I had like Doug Bowman from Twitter come in. I had John Lax from TN and Lax come in. Wilson Miner did it for a while. Hallie did it for a while. Just to like have people that are detached from these people that are like more senior and not worried about like, yo, but we're going to go for beers later, so maybe I don't want to say something negative about this. They would just, like, cut through it and just, like, really, really get to the bottom. And we could see how they critiqued things, which was awesome, and, like, different perspectives. And they were stoked to do it. I just emailed them, and they're like, yeah, I'd love to. Like, sweet, one, like, 30 minutes or 45 minutes would love to come by. So, Have other people in here have had guest critiquers from other companies in your critiques? One? How many have established critique Once. processes? Like an eighth of the room? Not a ton. Not a lot. I wonder why. We'll ask you guys later. <laughs> uh, last night, I thought it was really interesting hearing Katie's framework for what she looks for in designers. And I might be off here, but it was it was along the lines of craft, hustle, and humility. Yeah, like being able to, to work with others, humility. Uh, do you guys have a framework as well, either within your company or maybe even just like more personally, how you identify... Uh, designers with potential, designers you want to work with? We try and bring everybody in for at least a week that we're hiring. So everybody comes in, if, if possible, uh, and work with us for a week. And so it's not like uh, taking boxes. It's more like overall, how do people fit in? Um, and the main thing there is just if they're um, hardworking, smart, uh, and kind, then I think everything else kind of falls into place. Hardworking, smart, and kind. Yeah. Okay. How do you define smart? I'm too dumb to answer that question. <laughs> GPA. Yeah. GPA. GPA. Yeah. Okay. The most interesting thing to me when I'm working with a designer is not the first round I do, but the second round. It's like they present something and then you talk about it together and then what happens after that? Is it just, are they coming back with either doing exactly what you sort of brought up are they just being super stubborn and not changing anything or are they just taking getting to the heart of the feedback and trying to solve it solve the things that you were talking about rather than just oh yeah he said that gray is weird and it's just I, I made that gray lighter and it's like yeah, then it's kind of pointless so it's you can sort of yeah the first second rounds are usually the most intriguing ones that's why we at least have a week because if it's shorter than that we maybe just see the first round and maybe superficially looks awesome but then you need to get deeper and deeper and deeper and start to iterate and that when it becomes interesting i just i look for like 
I'm very drawn to people that are very curious and like just ask a lot of really interesting questions. Cause I think you can, if they don't, if they're open enough to ask a lot of questions and they ask really interesting questions, then the rest of it is more, they're, they're going to be like a sponge for absorbing what you're saying to them. Cause if they're genuinely curious about those questions, I think it's awesome. It, it totally depends. Like am I hiring someone senior? Am I hiring someone junior for like junior people? You look for like high aptitude. Do they understand like the basics of stuff? And like, are they super junior with a huge ego? And they're like, no, nah, I'm already a good designer. It's like, no, thank you. Or like you, you need people that, are willing to like just do good work and be super curious about it and um i don't know like i can't yeah i get frustrated when people are like can't critique themselves like when you ask someone like hey you did this design for a client whatever you did it on spec work whatever you were doing like tell me what you do time is unlimited like let's make put you inside of a vacuum what would you do differently and they're like uh, nothing. It's like, this is the perfect design. They're like, yeah. You're like, that's insane. Like, where, what planet are you from? Like, if people can't critique themselves or, like, just want to continuously, like, improve their craft or be like, I don't know, like, I really struggled with this bar. Like, what, what would you guys work on differently? Like, that, I like people that are just super, super curious. And, like, I gravitated towards people that are just scrappy, grew up doing this from a super young age. I don't care if you went to school for it or not. Like I just wanted to surround myself by people and like work with people that just like building stuff. And from that, it's like, they're going to le- learn the skills they need to learn to improve themselves or build the product we want to build. Um, I didn't go through a traditional like education path. So it's like, I, I'm not coming here with a master's degree in design and being like, this is the process we use. It's like, I just wanted to build stuff. And that's like, how I got started. So I, I gravitate towards people like that. And then as the company gets better, you hire more experts that you want people that have like very fine tuned, educated crafts doing their, doing their thing. When I think about design, I think about um, finding the sweet spot where you're ultra confident and ultra um, insecure and being like right there all the time is trying to make sure that, you know, you don't fall into either category too much, but you're still, you know, you're super happy with the work you're doing, but you also hate it, and you're trying to improve it all the time, and you know why, and you're trying to work towards something that you, you know, you don't have yet. Uh, and I think if you can dance, if you can figure out, you know, if you can find people that are comfortable being in that spot where they're not, not always um, confident, but not always insecure, I think that really helps. How would you encourage people that maybe skew towards the insecure side? Uh, thinking specifically about maybe younger designers or people that are coming into the industry for the first time that that maybe feel like they don't have the visual chops or anything like that and they're feeling pretty insecure. Giving them small wins, helping them tick the boxes so that they add up to uh, to a big win. Yeah, I think that's that's the first step is trying to give them projects that they can solve or maybe slightly beyond what they thought they could solve. Yeah, one of my biggest learnings in management was and it's so obvious looking back on is, but you delegate the stuff you're really good at. So it's like, if I'm an exceptionally good icon designer, I'm going to ask the junior guy to guy or girl to design icons, because then my feedback to the person is going to be very crisp, very good. And like, very like from experience versus being like, I'm going to delegate the stuff that I don't really know how to do. So I'm going to learn how to do it. And then I'm going to help the team figure out how to do it. It's like, I think if you set up like little wins where it's like you can very concretely give very constructive feedback to the person because you've done a lot of that. 
or you think you yourself are good at it, then that will really help the team. Like junior people be like, oh, I can like work with this person. They give me really good feedback. What's the biggest mistake you see designers, junior or otherwise, making right now? I think this is common in our industry. Maybe not, but it's like if someone redesigns Facebook and that's what's in their portfolio, you're like, rad. High res photos and not any consideration of language support or anything. It's like, cool, we could all make stuff look pretty. It's like, I think people that are not, trying to like are either just copycatting stuff off dribble or like redesigning spec work or doing that kind of stuff or like unsolicited redesigns whatever you want to call that who are not just like trying to really understand what they're doing or designers who have never talked to a person about what they're trying to design before like i'd be so stoked to have like a junior designer come in who's like i'm trying to make this app i talk to all these people i don't really like my designs but here's what i'm trying to build that would be amazing compared to someone that's got a bunch of websites with color stripes on them and you're like okay why why does it look like this why do you do it like that like is your one design aesthetic appropriate for all these different like products probably not so that's that's what drives me nuts i would tend to disagree though i think there's many ways to come to the place of being a good designer some people start off with the visual and hopefully then get into the understanding some people start off with the understanding and get into the visual uh, i don't mind unsolicited redesigns i think it's fine if people you know, just want to polish their skills in one level without maybe, I mean, there's so many boxes that you have to tick as a designer that you can't work on all of them at once, um, especially in the beginning. And then if you're hungry enough, I think you'll move on to the other parts. Uh, so that's why I, I have no problem with. You'd, you'd be fine if someone's portfolio was Facebook redesigned, Instagram redesigned, and Twitter redesigned. And like, no, not, no, not, I'm not, my work. I'm not saying that would be like uh, the first hire I'd make, but it would be, uh, um, yeah, I would, I'm more talking about in general, if people want to spend their time doing that for a while, there's nothing wrong with that. That's fair. Okay. Uh, if they're, you know, just fresh out of school and they need, you know, they don't have the work, um, they don't have the projects where they think, feel like they can flex their muscles, then just do something is better than doing nothing yeah i know mark has strong opinions on this because we heard it last mark night Mark doesn't have opinions <laughs> uh talking specifically about this idea of of generalism and and special specialty design um it seems like from my perspective there's been a lot more emphasis lately on on honing in and not being a generalist uh pick what you're good at and become better at that. And if you're, you're weak at something, uh, pair up with someone that, that has that strength. Um, it sounds a little bit different than what you've suggested with your delegation style, but like, what would you encourage people to spend their time on? Is, is it taking the things you're already good at and being better at that? Or do you think people should always be filling in the gaps and like always trying to raise, raise the average? I think we should always be raising the average. I think if you're stuck in just polishing one thing, you won't, you, you'll get this far, but without all the other things complementing it, you will never get past that line. Even, so even if you want to become a specialist, you have to become a generalist. So like sense. a T-shaped person? Is that the metaphor? You guys heard T-shaped person? Like a little bit in a lot of things? Yeah, and I think then you can have like areas where you're maybe ahead, but if you just uh, skip all the other parts, you'll never get very good, I think, at the thing you want to excel at. It's like being a human being. If you just, you know... <laughs> Has to be a human being. Check. <laughs> it's, it's, if you just focus on um, 
you know, it's it's multiple things that you have to do at once. You can't just do work. You have to do uh, family and 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 um, social life, and you know, you have to be curious about multiple things to become a better human being. Uh, you can't just, yeah. I think you have to um, keep growing the things that you're not great at, but you also, I think. You don't have to be great at everything. That's not what I'm saying, but it's still, if you just keep neglecting them, you won't become very good. We have like 15 minutes left. Uh, we don't have to fill it all, but if you guys have questions and you want to ask, uh, we'll just like say, repeat it into the mic so it's recorded and, and we can go from there. Does anyone have questions? How do we sum this up? Uh, so the question, <laughs> the question was about, um, do you feel, do you feel like the, the nature and the music and, and everything outside of design in life uh, is is playing a part, uh, but maybe you don't realize it, or you're not embracing it. You being we, I, I think subconsciously, obviously, everything inspires everything. What we were talking about was more, at least for me, was how I get inspired for specific ideas, and I can all pretty much always tie them into something else. Most of it tends to be like design related, um, but I'm sure there. I'm not saying that. Some people don't do this, but I'm just, I'm not like that. And I'm sure that I could be better tuned into where my inspiration comes from outside of design, but I haven't had those moments, if that was a question. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And like for me, I will absolutely be like, man, I can't think of any design work right now. Like I, I'm dry. So then I need to like step away and I'm not going on like a vision quest to get inspired. It's like just stepping away from the work for a while. It's like, that's what I'm doing right now. It's like I'm taking a bit of time off and like just getting like stoked about stuff. And I I just really look at design as like the work I do, I try to solve a problem. It's like when I did more photography, I would probably get more inspired by other photographers and music and all that sort of stuff. But what I'm trying to do is just like make flows really, really seamless. So for me, the inspiration is probably other flows that I see done really, really well, but not something from nature that I'm thinking like, if I can pull that into my work, it might be better. So yeah. I use that stuff to get like energized, right? Like, so I'm sure at some level it, it plays a factor, but, uh, now most of my inspiration I think is, I would consider it research, right? Like I just dig into other people's work, steal as much as I can. The, uh, the metaphor given was <laughs> there's a song on the new album from the game, the rapper, the game, <laughs> which is a really fun sentence to say, uh, where he switches the beat and goes acapella. And is, do you ever consider things like that in your work? Right. Is that accurate? Okay. What, what kind of design work do you do? Is it like marketing design, like communication design, like, Yeah, I think I and like that goes back to like my work is just not that style of work. Like I'm not the kind of person to like go out and do crazy brushstrokes and do that kind of stuff. I would make you the most generic, like smooth flowing marketing site in the world that would not be inspiring. So like that's absolutely people like are like that. And like the fellow that spoke, Thomas, was that his name? Was yeah. His shit was insane. The guy's inspired by gourds and making crazy art out of gourds. Like there are people like that. For me personally, it's like I did do that kind of stuff and there was just i'm that's not my sweet spot i just don't do it anymore so yeah what about you brian do you do acapella at facebook no we, <laughs> <laughs> there's no acapella at facebook in my product anyways 
Yeah. So the point was uh, maybe the the flow and process changes between products and projects, not, not necessarily in the same one. Yeah. What are your acapella projects? Acapella projects? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I agree. I know it's wicked hot. Anyone have uh, some more questions before we go? Okay. At what point do you commit to a direction in your design? We try when we when possible. We try and have uh, time like two or three weeks in the beginning where we go super wide, uh, and then we uh, go back and, and try and, and tame things. Uh, and then usually that means that we're kind of on track because most of the stuff that we do is for clients, and we have like a deadline that we have to match. What's sometimes missing in that phase is like once you're done, it's kind of saying okay, was that the best thing? And just, I think what you were asking is, I think it would be great to have a few weeks then to again just completely scrap the whole thing and do it again. I think that would be, you could come up with something even better. Uh, sometimes hard to rationalize because you maybe feel like you're 90% there and you sort of come back to the client, well, we're going to need another month to get the extra 10%. And there is no, we're fine with the 90%. And it's like, okay, that's... Fair enough, but I think within companies, if you're a product designer within a company, you, you sh I feel like you could have more space to do that and sort of go back to scratch based on everything you've learned through that project and sort of reapplying it, rethinking it again, um, and seeing if there's a better way, which there almost always is. Yeah, like my perspective on that is like, do it when it's the cheapest so like super early on like paper sketches or that kind of stuff is like cheap 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 you can do a million of them you can get all kinds of different people doing lots of different sketches for stuff as soon as you have and at medium which i really appreciated is we weren't a company that would say we don't know let's test a through z and then see which one performs the best and go with it we would always design what we thought was the best and then test it against what existed so we were not like shotgunning splatter shot stuff Ev always likes to say, because the fellow just wants us to ship all the time, ship, if it's better than what we have right now, ship it. And we always push back on that because it's like, I can adjust one pixel and it's better. But we ship twice a day at Medium. We have various versions of Medium running that are very different. And we just try to keep like, I think the, one of the biggest changes having come from agencies to product work is like, it is never done. We are never done. We're always iterating on it. And like, if you build it into your system and your culture, that like iteration is the best way of building things and shipping things and testing them in the real world is the best way of doing it. You're going to continuously iterate. We went really deep on things where you're like, okay, the system that we designed is not scaling to now support modern medium. So now we need to rethink our structure of our site and think about components again and do that. When we started, like when the friction was too much to add stuff or everything the designers were doing was going back and designing a brand new component for every single problem. It's like, okay, clearly we need to design some better Lego blocks to build. Then we'd go deep, figure that out use those Lego blocks and like design ourselves a future that we wanted that like at early on, like we designed a search box and all that stuff. We didn't have search built yet, but we designed for that. And then we took that out and shipped it. And then when search was ready, we already like had accounted for that. So that was the kind of the deep times we would go in is where it's like the friction is too much to change stuff or it's like chaos to change things. Have you ever built something and then immediately been like, this isn't the right way to do it. Is that right? Yeah. So you actually built a thing. It's shipped something and been like, oh, this isn't great. 
it's I'm it is absolutely happened in my in my career before we tried to avoid that as much as possible at medium so like we would do like rollouts to one percent of people little like see if it's working and like always test it with people before it ever gets like prototyping is so quick nowadays it's like almost there's no excuse to ship something and be like oh damn no one can use this it's like that's not as designers like i'd be very disappointed if that's what we were doing i completely redesigned the app i'm working on right now four times before we launched it so what i would have liked to done when we were working on we were working on some stuff with medium but i thought would make sense is we have these teams that are iterating to have like a side team that's future thinking um so that we're you know, just stuck in this process of fixing that you know search where it currently is, but maybe there's like a second team that's um, thinking about what this could be like in three years. Like, what are we working towards? Uh, not for the next you know next day, but for the next few years. And I think that would be super helpful to have in, built into some product teams. Uh, one more question. I know it's like super hot. So the question was, when you iterate and go through a bunch of iterations and you realize the first one was the best one, when do you go back? How do you make that decision to go back? If you've gone through, let's say, 20 revisions and the first one just happened to be the best one, by doing 19 more of them, you have a stronger argument why number one is the best. Whereas if you just went with number one, you're like, don't know. And if like someone is like, oh, well, did you try this? What about this? Like, then you're like, yeah, actually, like I did go there. And this is like, you just build your argument. You just earned data with time. You earn data with time. And like, ideally, you're not going super deep and like getting worse and worse and worse for the sake of iterating. But it's like the two like clients I just had, like literally revisions, like tw- 20 plus were the best. And it's just like, I had to go there. I had to force myself to keep going deep and like sketch lets me do that and paper lets me do that. But if number one is the best, I'm going to be like, okay, crazy. Should have listened to myself earlier, but now I can argue why. That's never happened for me. <laughs> yeah. I feel the same like, way. I personally. always look back on things and it's like, why on earth did we try the first option? It's always like the 20th version that's kind of starting to shape up and you kind of think okay well that was that was wor- worth all that work um i think there will be something weird about our process where the first version was the best one it's a pretty unique case all right so we're uh, out of time uh, oh chloe <laughs> one more <laughs> say quick just for chloe so the question was how do you keep perspective with users when you're in the SF Bay area, especially with global products? Build that into your process. How do you build in quick user feedback? For us, uh, we do the design reviews. That I mean, that doesn't really negate the whole point of uh, being in the SF Bay area because everybody is then just in that same group, but at least it's like getting people in that don't know what we're working on. Um, and then I actually just run things by my family a lot, uh, just for quick things, like I would I can get, talk to my wife or my dad or somebody that isn't uh, as close to this as we are and just put this in front of them and they'll usually call bullshit uh, straight away <laughs> because they, you know, they, they're not privy to all the information we have and they're just like, I don't get it. Um, and that really helps because I think we can very easily just start to design for other designers or start to design for um, the small group of people that are super in the know and um, I think it's a constant battle though because it's you have to make time for it and you 
have to fight the urge to just say that oh you're all wrong um, and just being um, honest to yourself about okay maybe you're wrong yeah I think one quick shortcut could be like hiring a diverse team so at least internally you have many different opinions and people coming from different backgrounds um, personally it's like I was in San Francisco for almost four years I lost perspective so I left I moved away a month ago because I was like yo I don't know what what we're designing here anymore i need to go see what like other people need and like what other tools people need because i just like people were designing things and i was getting sucked into stuff where we're solving problems for like the one percent in san francisco and it was driving me nuts so i just like did a really forceful thing and like left went moved to a different country so that was help that helps me we hired someone at medium to do the research and it was not boxes and arrows and like here's a pdf handed to a designer that the designer's going to go cool not going to read that it was she's a, a fantastic person that is like really good at understanding design and like communicating like the empathy from people from all over the world that are using medium to like shortcut us having to go places and do that and that's her full-time job and that really helped us gain like a lot of perspective and i think I think going forth, one of my first hires will be a researcher to do that because it's crazy to design without knowing what people outside of your like little like bubble are going to use. So I think that's one way you can do that. So we just launched our product. Uh, there was a very contentious feature, which was a built-in chat client, which I, from the very beginning, I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Why do we have this? We're a news app. Uh, however, one of the first things we did uh, before I even got there, actually, uh, they built in a Sidewire feedback channel. All of our users on our beta could put messages into our Slack team where I could see them every single day. I was designing with fresh data from users complaining or saying something they liked. Uh, we also beta tested with over a thousand poli-sci students. Uh, so I would like fly to USC or go over to Berkeley and like sit with these students and hang out with them because, I mean, we're political news right now. So these are the people who, A, have new phones and B, are interested in politics. And we'd also have the people who were going to use the platform from the back end, the people who comment on stories. So we would have Obama spokespeople come in and talk to us or people from Politico or whatever. Like we would, we just got as close to the users as we could as often as we could before we started launching. Cool. Thanks, everyone. That was our first live show. We hope you enjoyed listening. It was good to catch up with Hallie and Dustin. the waves? That's pretty great. Yeah, there was waves in the background. That was the second time we've chatted with Hallie and Dustin, and it was it was really great to have them back on the show, digging into their work, their lives. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, join us on our Slack team. We have over 1,400 designers and developers in there at spec.fm slash slack, or hit us up on Twitter. We're at designdetails.fm. We like to chat. Before we go huge thank you to the two sponsors that made this episode possible. First, Dropbox is the best way to store and sync all of the files on your computer across all of your devices. It makes file storage and syncing seamless, invisible, magic. It's incredibly easy to sign up and get started. You can back up your entire computer and have it available anywhere. They keep track of versions and make it really easy to share and collaborate with other people on your team. We use them all the time for everything and you should too to learn more go to dropbox.com thanks so much to dropbox for supporting the show our second sponsor once again nch tax and wealth advisors specifically andrew carroll who is all of our accountants like half the spec team everyone that has used him loves him he's fantastic he wrote a book just for people like you if you're a freelancer 
you can go get that at cpaandrew.com slash spec. It's called The Freelancer's Guide to Escaping Taxes. Definitely worth a read because, I mean, when you're a freelancer, anything that'll save you a buck, anything that'll make you an extra buck is so invaluable. So thank you once again to Andrew for writing that. And also thank you for sponsoring the show. cpaandrew.com slash spec. Thanks once again to NCH Tax and Wealth Advisors. We'll see you on Monday with Ash Huang.